May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another QQ Audio Podcast. I'm D.C. Pubov, QQ Audio and QQ Archives. Doing our bit to preserve the legacy of Shunryu Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get it and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So uh, today we have a guest, Eric Larson. Uh, he came to Zen Center in 1970, and... Um, you know, the person there most important to him was Silas Hoadley. He didn't have any relationship with uh, Shunju Suzuki. And um, uh, the, Silas was most important for him, but uh, the community. And um, I don't know, Eric was really good at everything he did. He was around some years. And, uh, you know, the next thing you know, he's a watershed expert and teaching at UC Davis. And, but... Um, Actually, on the way there, and and for a long while, he studied with um, uh, three uh, very important uh, teachers that were around Sin Center. One of them was Alex Wagers. Uh, you can, you know, go to cuke.com and search for Alex Wagers. You know, see about him. Uh, the Leonardo da Vinci of... Carmel Valley, and Eric uh, learned blacksmithing and tool making and sculpting from uh, Alex, and uh, set up a blacksmith shop at uh, Green Gulch. And he he studied uh, sculpting and chainsaw sculpting uh, with uh, J. B. Blunk, uh, who uh, did a lot of work. Uh, well, major work for Zen Center. He did uh, uh, some redwood, out of large redwood, uh, gnarly uh, redwood that wasn't really good for cutting lumber out of with um, burls and stuff in it. Uh, he made uh, large um, uh, seats and uh, out of them for Tassajara. He did the very large redwood sculpture when you walk into Green's restaurant. Uh, I don't know about now, but for years he he had this large sculpture. I think it was a ring when you walk into the Oakland Museum. He had a big piece at Stevenson College. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, J.B. Was, was a mentor to Eric. And, and uh, J.B. was... Uh, had studied pottery with the famous Amada in Japan and uh, was a friend with Isamu Noguchi, the famous architect. Um, and the third is Harry Roberts, who was the Yurok shaman uh, who uh, spent his final years at Yvonne Rands in Muir Beach and uh, was close to many Zen students and an important advisor to Green Gulch Farm. And um, anyway... So Eric will talk about all that. 
Now, uh, nothing has stopped him. In recent years, he's been involved with Bhutto dance in Japan and in America. And uh, if, 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 if you go to kuk.com, you'll see E-R-I-C-L-A-R-S-E-N. You'll see a page for him there. And uh, it'll, it'll give links to his Bhutto teachers and videos you can see. But um, he's in really good shape. Pretty impressive. Oh, oh, and I should mention, he's involved with the Ring of Bones Zendo, started by Gary Snyder with the uh, teacher Nelson Foster, uh, who's a Dharma heir of uh, Robert Aiken. Uh, and um, anyway, uh, so uh, we'll, we'll give uh, Eric a call just as soon as we've had our pause to meditate. And he and I had two, two conversations. One, for some reason, I think he was leaving for Japan. I, I called him at midnight here, and I am almost always asleep by midnight, good Lord. And we talked till three. Ah. And uh, we had another talk for, I think it was 47 minutes. So uh, I'm making those into two podcasts uh, uh, on uh, Podbean and other outlets, YouTube, Spotify, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to have one of them be three hours and 147 minutes. At some point, uh, this um, conversation just goes off a cliff and then you yeah, Part two will start next week. <laughs> so, uh, listen, when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause and we'll hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever. And we'll give Eric Larson a call. Hey there. Eric, how you doing? Hi. Uh, I'm great, man. I'm just great. How are you? Okay, okay. Ah, we connect. Good. And it's, I, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I got you before you went back to uh, Japan again. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful day here in California. It's just... Uh, the sun's coming up over the uh, coast range. Um, it was a little bit of a little cool last night. We had the door open because it just started to get hot here, uh, you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And and where are you again? I, I, I live about uh, an hour north of San Francisco in a little town called Winters, um, which is used to be a kind of a farming town. Um, it's about 20 minutes from Davis where I where I taught at the university. So yeah, uh, um, we, we, we got a house that was close by and, um, but we live right on a Creek and look out over fields and, uh, uh, and yet we're, 
we were actually three blocks from the middle of the quote downtown, which is just a three block. <laughs> huh. Downtown is actually three blocks long, you know. So. Oh, that's neat. That's neat. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Where do you live? Uh, in Bali. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's hard. Hard to picture. You know, I I just picture some kind of a 1960s movie with uh, uh, handsome people with fake fake tans. You know. <laughs> yeah, Bob Hope's uh, Road to yeah. Bali. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I saw that movie. That was one of his very early movies, incidentally. And uh, he and uh, Bing Crosby, they didn't get to Bali in the movie. Uh, it was they were just on the road to Bali. I think maybe they were in Australia. I can't quite remember. Uh, uh, so hey, well you be. Go on. You beat them out. You you made it there. That's good for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, what did you teach at uh, at Davis? Davis? Um, you know, I taught about rivers, how how rivers form in nature. Um, it was uh, it was one of my big draws was uh, doing field research to be out to be able to go. Uh, my brother said, you know, your work is you go walk along the river and draw pictures and you call it work. He said, you did that when you were 12 years old, you know. <laughs> your brother, Dane. <laughs> Dane, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember him. Yeah. Why don't you tell us uh, what you're going to do when you go to Japan uh, and how oh, yeah. you got into all that. And I, I know one thing. I, I plan to put a link to your uh that video you've got on youtube about it but i've been waiting to talk to you so uh anyway tell us about all that oh, yeah um yeah that's a I, i'm headed to i'm headed to kyoto in two days going back um and when i'm there i'll be uh practicing and studying you know the word dance. I, I, I'm trying to find a better word for it. Um, uh, you know, David, I've been attracted to to ritual. Uh, you know, since I can ever remember. Um, and uh, been attracted to finding out how ritual can transform uh, us mm -hmm. collectively. You know. Uh, <laughs> how it might help a little bit <laughs> uh help help others and help myself uh uh explore uh things that we can't explain rationally um i i often said that when i went to the university i tried to change people's minds about uh about the environment about how we treat the rivers and how we take care of our environment and now I'm trying to change people's hearts, uh, or, 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 you know, invite, invite a change of heart. Uh, and I think if we have a change of heart, then we will treat things differently. And, and you see how this all kind of connects with our Zen practice, too, you know? Um, I think there's a lot of Zen practice that's, how can I say, not rational, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Zen practice tells us we are, we are, we're fine and just as we are. And then it also says, you know, you got to work hard and get rid of all those uh, 
messy things <laughs> that, <laughs> that come to you as that you come to you as a human. All those <laughs> all those bad actions and bad thoughts, you know, and you're full of them. So that's a contradiction and irrational, but um, something that I think we understand inside us. So uh, the quote unquote kind of performance I do again, it's not performance, it's ritual. Uh, um, we Okay, let me get back up one step here. So I'll be going and uh, working with, uh, this time I'll be working with a teacher uh, who identifies himself with the uh, Japanese-style buto, um, which I can explain a little bit. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a kind of, they call it dance, uh, that was founded in the late 50s, uh, 58, 59, 57, something like that. Uh, essentially by two uh, individuals, one Tatsumi Hitikata and the other one uh, Kazuo Ono. Uh, and I think at first they were based in Tokyo, uh, although Hitikata never left, uh, never came to Europe or anything. Um, and uh, people often say it came out of the war experience uh, because it's a, still called avant-garde dance. Uh, when you see pictures of it, uh, we tend to paint our bodies white, and if you have to put words to why that is, which again, words are always suspect, and everything is just a made-up explanation, but uh, teachers will often say that's to erase the personal self. You paint yourself white, and often people will shave their heads and actually shave their eyebrows off. Mm. So it's a, it's a pretty pretty dr dramatic look, which which makes it interesting to look at. But uh, there is a reason there. Um, but again, I won't give you any more explanations. This just uh, gives you kind of a visual of, of that, um, yeah. that type, type of performance. Well, and, um, can we see Buto uh, online? You know, seeing Buto online is like seeing a picture of a kiss. Um, well, at least you know what a kiss is yeah, if you see a picture. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would look up uh, Hijikata, Tatsumi Hijikata, and and see his. You know, I wouldn't look up all the derivatives after that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, yeah. What, yeah. what, what you, what I'd like you to do then, is before you head out to Japan after our call, send me an right. email with his name, uh, and and a link would be nice, and for anything else we <laughs> hit on. Here, like that okay. video with uh, that's about you and the uh, uh, the dance or performance related to uh, nuclear weapons or Hiroshima or whatever. Right, right. That was uh, that was very interesting, um, and maybe I can explain more about what I do by just telling the story of what yeah, I did. Do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, 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 few, um, uh, a few years ago, uh, I was just tying up my, my work at the university, and I knew I was wanted to return to dance. That's what I did before I ever came to Zen Center. Oh, is that um, right? I was a, yeah, as a young man, um, right out of college, uh, as you as you well know, the world was. Uh, 
the world was wide open. You could do anything in 1967, 8, and 9, right? It's like, well, you want to want to do this, you want to do that, you know, it, it's a, we felt like the world was going to totally change and we had, we had the options of doing anything and I had always been drawn to some kind of movement and, and something related to ritual and movement. So uh, there was a dance teacher in New York City, uh, actually quite a wonderful dance teacher uh, named Eric Hawkins and um, I found out about him and his dance uh, was inspired by Native American ritual. He'd grown up on the Colorado border, I think between Colorado and New Mexico, if there is such a border. I just dreamed that up. But uh, as a young man, he knew about those Native Americans, so he took off and spent a whole summer looking at all the Native American uh, dances that he could back in his uh, you know, Colorado area. And he decided, yes, uh, a man can dance, you know. So he went back to New York and he started studying dance. And then he he actually helped Martha Graham get on the map and found mm. founded founded the Martha Graham Company with her, really, because he was her first male dancer and he inspired her and uh, she became very famous and he didn't, um, but that's okay. He left her company after about 13 years and started his own. And I went to dance with Eric in New York as a young man because I thought he was doing ritual. Um, ceremony, ritual. And it looks like that. But, you know, the New York stage experience is the New York stage experience. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, um, you know, getting up at dawn uh, <laughs> in, your, uh, in your tribe with your people. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, left, I left New York, and that's when I bumped into Zen. Um, and then. What year was that? It was probably 1969. Yeah. Probably late 1969. Um, you know. Um, so then, to bring this story back to where I uh, went off the rails here, uh, when I was tying things up at the university, I, I, I said, you know, I could, I could do this. It was almost like a resurgence of that feeling that we had in the 60s. It's like, you know what? The world is wide open. And someone said, well, you should try, there's this Buto teacher, actually, um, pretty, uh, one who danced with the founder, lives in Berkeley. Why don't you go see that? And I'd never heard of Buto in my life. So I went over um, to, uh, to to her house, you know, Tamano, uh, Koichi and Hiroko Tamano. And uh, like in the first hour, it's like, oh, I get this. Oh, yeah, well, this is like what I want to do. This is it. Yeah, I got it. Mm. And um, I don't know, four weeks later, five weeks later, she asked, she said, you want to perform? And you know, well, sure. And I did my first performance like five weeks after I'd heard about the form, you know? Mm. Like, wow. And um, so I'm finally getting to the story I started to tell. Uh, uh, about a year later, uh, one of an old dance friend from New York said uh, she's actually a, she was a dancer in Eric's company I never actually danced in the company I just apprenticed but she somehow said I'm going to be going to Japan my husband's Japanese we're going to be going to this uh, nuclear museum in Tokyo uh, that uh, honors the Daigo Fukuyu Maru uh, incident 1954 incident where 
the United States bombed the Bikini Islands as a test with a bomb 100 times more powerful than the one at Hiroshima. And they forgot to tell people that they were doing it, and a boat was uh, radiated with nuclear ash. And uh, So I got to go to that. Uh, I paid my way to Tokyo. Um, and I'm going to take another side story here, um, because the word Tokyo just flashed something in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a child in Tokyo. My father was in the United States Air Force, and we lived in Tokyo in 1952, 1953, and 1954. So my first stories, like some people, I don't know, Little Red Riding Hood or something like that, maybe your first story or somebody's first story. My first story was Momotaro, the uh, oh yeah. <laughs> story, yeah, story of Peach Boy. So I, 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 was, uh, I think I was infused with Japanese culture. As a child, I mean, I we lived in 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 the Japanese area of Tokyo. Uh, you know, I walked down the street and there was a you know Shinto shrine up in the corner, like there is in every corner. <laughs> hey, <laughs> wait one. a minute, wait uh, a minute. You just said you lived in a, a Japanese area of Tokyo. <laughs> Tokyo oh, is. Oh, oh, oh. It, well, you well, mean you you I weren't living it. on the base? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't know if you know what happened in Tokyo or not, but we took over Yoyogi Park as Americans. I mean, that's a long story, and you got to keep me on track, David, because you can see I'm all over the map here. But um, yeah, oh, no, I don't know about that. But I'll tell you one thing about the that that boat uh, with, with the Japanese fishermen who were uh, irradiated. I think one of them died, right? One and. Before yeah, they think, got back, well, one one of died immediately. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that boat was out of Yaizu, where uh, Suzuki Roshi's temple was. Uh, oh, how interesting! Yeah, and he was uh, he joined a protest march uh, against mm. the uh, the you know the dropping of the bikini bomb. And all that. Mm-hmm. And people tried to stop him because they said there's mm. going to be communists in the march. And he said, well, I don't care if they're against the, the nuclear bombs. <laughs> uh, I'll march right. with them. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I just wow. thought you might enjoy knowing that. Oh, no, it makes me feel like I was marching along with him. You know, it yeah. was, uh, it's tragic. It's tragic. I mean, the, the stories about that incident, um, there are many stories, but they're not surprising. I mean, we, when the, when Japan gets in touch with the United States, and I don't say this in documentary film there, but um, basically the United States got in touch with all of the victims and paid them a chunk of money if they would just be quiet and not talk about it for the rest of the Sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Them off, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to tell you I mean, one I, I, other thing. I, I want to interrupt sure. you again. No, it's okay. When I was working on the nuclear freeze, um, mm-hmm. uh, we met with city council people, uh, different ones of us. <laughs> and I met with uh, one of the conservative ones with a couple of, uh, of hardcore left wing, old lefties from Berkeley 
who were older than mm-hmm. me. Uh, you know, I was uh, I was uh, 35 or something, 37. And, oh, they were just, you know, they just didn't get along with him at all. And he was uh, ex-Navy. And uh, so they left, and I stayed in his office and talked to him, and we got along. And he had been involved with uh, uh, the hydrogen bomb tests in the South mm. Pacific. One thing I always found, mm. if you just listen to these people, they'll tell you stuff, you know. Uh, mm. And mm. Uh, if, you, if you try to lecture to them, you won't get anything out of them. And he told me what he saw, what, what, what impressed him the most was when the bomb went off to see all the flaming birds in the sky. Oh, David. Oh, yeah, just listen and you hear the most amazing things, huh? Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, the more I get to know about this, um, the more, you know, it, uh, it, 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 it encourages me to keep up trying to do ritual and ceremony, you know, with people and with others. Um, I'm scheduled to perform at the end of May in Fukuoka, and it's not perform. Uh, the group I'm working with is like a, I mean, for want of a better word, it's like a, it's like a sangha or a family. There's about 10 or 12 uh, students who've been working with Harada Roshi, uh, Harada, Harada Roshi, Harada San, um, who's the, or sensei, who's the teacher, who's a year younger than I am. You know how it is, David. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. With age. Um, and, uh, when I met him, it was like meeting, uh, an old friend. Uh, and I met him for the first time last year. Um, and he said, you know, at the change of seasons, four times a year, we do these, we get together, we spend three or four days working together, uh, and then we perform for each other in a very small little studio in Fukuoka. And they invite friends, and they, you know, there's like 20 people in the back of the studio. So it's almost like a ceremony, David, um, where you've been working with the same group of people for a, a year or so, and then you spend four or five days living together, eating together, where the meal is just as important as what we call the performance. It's not separate. And my perhaps romanticized image of it, it's like the old days when people got together around the hearth and told stories to each other. Uh, mm. And again, my faith is that these stories will bring about a change of heart. And then a change of heart will lead to all the things that people try and argue and explain and, and, and coerce about. You know, if you have a change of heart, then your mind will change on its own. You don't have to try and convince somebody intellectually about something. So that's my, uh, that's my exploration now. That's my main work right now is to explore that kind of experience. Uh, yeah. So, Anyway, when I said living in the Japanese part of, of, of Tokyo, which just sounded weird, didn't it? Um, I discovered later that the main park in Tokyo, Yoyogi Park, uh, is a large, beautiful park. What I found out was that when we occupied in the early 50s, uh, Japan and Tokyo, we came to Tokyo and said, oh, that's a cool place. That's a big place. It's all empty right in the middle of Tokyo. We'll take that. 
And then if you look, there's actually a couple uh, YouTube videos of documentaries from that time. They so, they're so proud, they, I say, isn't that interesting? I'm talking about the United States. They um, are so proud, and they say, look, when you enter the gate here, it's like entering a town in Cleveland, Ohio. There's the movie theater. There's the you know convenience store. You would never know that you're not in Cleveland. And they had like a thousand homes. They built tract homes and just took over the park. It's like weird. Oh, uh, I have a question. Reverted. You, I yeah. thought you said you lived in the Japanese part, P-A-R-T of Tokyo. Well, are you saying you lived in the Japanese no, 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 park, no, B-A-R-K? No, 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 no. We lived in the Japanese part of Tokyo. Actually, we lived in was Shibuya, which doesn't sound, you know, very romantic now, but Shibuya is where all the uh, uh, embassies were, and the embassy housing was in Shibuya. But I got in a bus every day, and I was bused down to Yoyogi to go to school. Hmm. Does that make sense now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, you know, what a weird history, you know, that you go into a country and you say, well, I'll take that and I'll take that and I'll take that. And, you know, and by the way, you need to sign an agreement that you'll never have an army. And if you need to ever nuke somebody, we'll do it for you. You know, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so this so my I, I'm I explore those feelings through movement. Um. And then I have training now, lots of training. Uh, well, as much as four years can give you, actually, it's very shallow training um, in how to uh, do these rituals or these ceremonies um, in a more public way so that hopefully uh, people experience it. So mm -hmm. I usually don't talk about very much about what I'm doing, and often people will come up afterwards and say, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and uh, I have a little stack of books. Uh, you perhaps know a book that was published a long time ago, um, A Thousand Cranes. You know that book? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I bought up all the secondhand ones I could possibly do, and I carry them with me, and then I give them to people. Because, hmm. you know, it's ostensibly a children's story, but it brings tears to eyes when you read it. And it's, there's no blame there. Again, it's one of those stories that I hope will transform the heart. You know, when someone reads that, they just, all of a sudden, they feel something that all sorts of explanations could never touch, you know. So, hmm. uh, you know, and I have to be honest, too. I like moving. I've always liked uh, moving. So just the sheer joy of moving my body, even if it's sometimes exploring difficult things, um, is something that I'm drawn to. So... Uh, in a nutshell, that's the, that's the, that's the uh, reason I do it. Well, I saw the uh, YouTube video. Uh, what What's it called? The, well, the one that I did, uh, there was a documentary in Japan. Yeah, it's re very well made. Yeah, uh, uh, one of the men who came to Tokyo was a filmmaker, and he actually interviewed me but never used it in his footage. And so I got in touch with him uh, a couple years later and said, you know that interview you did of me up behind, standing behind the boat, you know? Could could you just put together a little documentary about what we did? 
for me, kind of featuring me, so it explains my work. And he said, sure, Chris Fiore, a uh, filmmaker in New York, did that. And I forget what he titled it. I didn't really, he didn't really ask me what to title it, but it would have to be something like, I don't know, David, I've forgotten the name of it. <laughs> you mean the one on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the well, one, we'll, the one that, that, we'll, we'll figure out, we'll figure out. Uh, yeah. so when I put the, the podcast up, uh, I'll be able to link to it. I mean, I've, I've got a link. Uh, I just look at a yeah. old, I can't remember who told me about you doing that. Uh, but it's in yeah. their email. I can, I can probably find it on YouTube. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll get it for you. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, I'll get it to you. Not yeah. Anyway, well, well, any anything like that, tell me about. Now, one thing I want to say while it's on my mind is uh, uh, Shoto Harada Roshi in Okayama. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of him at Sogenji? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd like to connect you with uh, Chisan. His. Um, uh, his, uh, who's been, you know, translating for him and, and working with him for, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years. Uh, she was, she was oh. a fellow student with him of Mumon Yamada years ago. Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's impossible you could do a Bhutto at the temple there. It's a big temple. In fact, I read once it's the mm. largest temple in Western Japan. Uh, oh my gosh! Uh, or maybe it's the largest Zen temple or something. But anyway, it's big. And and we, when I, you know, I lived next door to there uh, three and a half years, and um, there were uh, uh, we had some performances and things. And uh, uh, but anyway, I'd like to connect you uh, and at least uh, maybe uh, you could uh, meet him. But I think sure. I think it's uh, there are some possibilities there. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Um, Thank you. Well, why don't we go back and talk about what what uh, uh, led you to the Zen Center? Oh, that's a <laughs> that's so cool, Brian. I mean, <laughs> David. Uh, well, when I left New York, I, I hitchhiked. I hitchhiked back uh, from New York back to California where I had gone to high school and where I'd lived for a long time. And, but on my way, I stopped in, um, I stopped at Cambridge where my brother uh, was going to school at Harvard and slept on his floor for a while. And uh, I, I had started meditating about a year before that, where I would just sit sort of the influence from be here now and uh, the early, you know, all that stuff that was in the air, I would, cross my legs and sit, but not, I had never really thought about Zen or anything. Well, your influence was gonna... wasn't from Be Here Now, if uh, that was before Be Here Now came out. Was it? Oh, well, it was the, it was the <laughs> Be Here Now that was in the, was in the air, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, of, anyway, so uh, I was, I was sitting and then my brother said, oh, you know, there's these, these people who, uh, up over in Elliott House or something, they 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 do this thing in the morning where they sit like you're doing. You know, you should just go see them. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, it turned out it was a tiny little Zen group. It was meeting in in an attic, and um, years later, I figured out it was Ken Kraft. You maybe know Ken or who he was or is or 
uh, is a, he ended up being a scholar of Zen and taught and, and published books. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but he was he had, they had a little group. And um, do you know what lineage or what teacher there was? Oh sure sure. Oh sure I do. It's because that's the next part of my story. Because they said oh our teacher is going to come and give a big seminar on the weekend a two day seminar and it was uh, Philip Kaplow. That's what I thought. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's other people from Zen Center that sat there. Yeah. So I uh, I went to this thing and Kaplow uh, was uh, enchanting and uh, gosh, there must have been like a hundred of us in this. It was at Memorial Hall at Harvard, and uh, and you know just everything he said was like, I get that. Yeah, yeah. You just sit and you kind of like, yeah, I get that. Makes sense. You know, that's kind of kind of like what I'm drawn to. I didn't know there was a thing that was so formal, you know, because I I thought you just did it but um, and, and concentrated on between your eyes or something, you know, and blew the top of your head off or whatever. But, <laughs> um, so, 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 but I was careful because I'd experienced some pretty intense things, you know, uh, throughout my life that were mysterious, that were Verge on scary, so I was always very cautious when I was meditating on my own. But then when I went, oh, Zen, that, I'll try that. That'll be cool. So I said, I'll study Japanese. I'll get back to California, and then I'll go to Japan. That was my goal. So I um, went. I stayed another month at Harvard, and and my brother scammed me into the uh, basement where you could study Japanese by. Uh, in a booth, you know, with earphones and stuff. And mm. so I spent a month intensely studying Japanese so that I could get to Japan. And I guess getting to Japan was like you read uh, Kaplow's book or hear him, and it sounds like it's all really happening in Japan, and it's very mis- mysterious and powerful and wonderful. So that was my romantic image. So I came back to California and uh, meditating under trees, and there's some really funny stories. My meditation was guided, misguided because I, I didn't have much. Uh, well, I'll tell you the story. When I was sitting with Ken and his, uh, there was one other person that was there. Um, partway through meditation, partway through session, they would go, I, 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 I only assume what they were really doing. But what I do know for a fact was they would go. That's powerful. So I assume they were, you know, breathing moo. I, I don't know, but I'm just assuming that's what they were doing. And I have heard from people that uh, that uh, the Kaplow School sometimes would be encouraged to go out and yell moo and anyway, whatever. Oh, yeah. They did so, a lot of extreme stuff. Yeah. So anyway, my I'm 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 living in Bolinas, right, in my van and meditating every day and. Partway through my meditation, I would just go, <laughs> having no idea what I'm doing, but, you know, yeah. hey, if they did it, if they did it, I'll do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, as I was uh, prepared, oh, my whole life in Bolinas is a really good story we should talk about sometime. You know Bolinas well, and I actually owned land in Bolinas. Uh, that was another story, but let's get back to the Zen. So, I'm sitting, and I'm thinking, well... I have some kind of Zen things in San Francisco someplace. So I looked up and I found that there was a Chinese Chan Center in San Francisco. Yeah. So, so I 
said, I'm going to go see the Johnson Center. Just, you know, might as well just tap it in while I'm getting ready to go to Japan. And I hitchhiked in. Uh, I hitchhiked everywhere those days. And uh, they let me off at the Mint. Yeah. And I went to, a phone, went to a phone book, which is what you did in those days, right, to figure out places. And in a phone booth. And somehow I saw that the Zen Center, San Francisco Zen Center, was really close to me. And the Chan Center wasn't so close, so I said, well, "I'm going to I'm going to go check that place out first before I go to the Chan Center." Yeah. So I walked over to Page Street, and walked in the door, went to where they used to have it was like a front desk, you know, it's almost like you know. And I said, "I, I would like to see the Zen Master, please." <laughs> 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 died recently as you well know I think December 22nd yeah. or something yeah right when you and I were talking about him and I was planning on calling Bill so that I could just connect you know yeah Bill uh, uh, Port, Bill Porter Porter yeah that's how uh -huh. I talked to Silas is through Bill Porter uh, right. the and last had, couple know, of years I had Silas and Bill and I had spent a number of times together. I went up and saw us a few times in Port Townsend and, you know, of course, ah. he'd trot over to Bill. We'd, we'd trot over to Bill's and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes watch football. Bill loves football. Loves football. You know, anyway, but, um, so, mm. so I, I, I know Bill, you know, from that and he, he's my, one of the things that I connect with Silas too. So mm. anyway, back to the story. <clears throat> um, uh, and then I was walking out the door uh, after Silas, uh, you know, just encouraged me, and that's all. It just it was like, wow. And I just, I just felt that feeling that I, you could maybe feel from me. 
Um, and I start to come out to head for the front door at Page Street, right? And yeah. to my to my left is what they used to call the Buddha Hall. I don't know if it's still that. Oh, not, yeah, right? sure it is. Yeah. So, and then sitting on a tatami mat over there, there's a bunch of people, and I think they were sewing, okay? And some guy... This is uh, this is the the story that I have in my head. Some guy kind of yells, "Hey man, what you doing?" And I go, "Oh, just just, just visiting." And he goes, "Hey man, you want to work sometimes? We're we're working here sometimes. Come back sometimes. See ya. Bye bye." Huh. That was you. That was me. <laughs> yeah, it was you. Yeah, yeah. And I went. Well, that was a nice guy. God, you know, I I don't feel like I want to work in the culture that's out there, but I'd, I'd work with that guy. He's kind of cool. So that was it. I came back sometime later and you were the work leader, I think. That was 1972. Okay. Well, it, well, is alive when I, when I met you. Yeah. That first well, day when I met Silas. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, that 70, well, it that wasn't 72. No, but I was work leader in 72. Uh, I would, uh, if you met me when you first so came, you were, I was just, I was just visiting from Tassahara. Uh, because I got you. I didn't, I, I, I lived in Tassahara until, until Suzuki died. I got but, you. But I'd, okay. I'd come to the city. I'd be in so the you city. Were visiting. You know, I could have been there for yeah. an interim, for a, uh, a board meeting, uh, you know, any number of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you have, as 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 many people, I think, <laughs> remark. You know, you just you just have a friendly, open way, and and um, and also not so stiff. You know, it was just like, oh, that guy's cool. He's he's hanging. You know, I could do this. You know, I think I'll come back and work with him. That'd be fun. You know. So, Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was it, and then you know. Uh, Philip started coming about that time too, and, and, Phil and Philip was encouraging too. Philip Whalen. Yeah, yeah, Phil, Philip yeah, yeah. That's true. Philip Whalen moved into the building very early in 1972, uh, across the hall from me. <laughs> oh, interesting. In the building, yeah. I mean, directly and our doors. He opened my door, looked straight ahead. That's his door. So uh, yeah, that was yeah. very lucky for me. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you guys must have been obviously good friends, huh? You got to know him pretty well. Yeah, well, yeah. Other people got to know him better, uh, but uh, we we definitely related. And kept yeah. relating through the years. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good, so that, that's, that was my introduction to Zinzin. <clears throat> Obviously, I never made it to Japan until, uh, you know, really that uh, documentary you're talking about uh, of me being at the Daigo Fukumaru Museum was the first time I got, well, I got invited back as a scientist to go to Sapporo in the 90s, 94 maybe. Uh-huh. But, but when I went to, 
Tokyo was the first time I was got to Japan after aiming there, you know, before Zen Center. Wow. And that was in yeah. what year? Which one, David? When you when you went back for the dance? Uh, well, that was uh, probably 2018 or 19. Right, maybe right. 2019. Four years yeah, ago yeah. when you started that. Well, that's far out. Well, tell me more about uh, – well, let me ask you one thing about your experience at Zen Center. Uh, were you involved yeah. in – in, in getting uh, uh, the ashes site ready uh, for, uh, you know, uh, the Suzuki Roshi ashes ceremony and all that? No. Uh, were you involved in getting the loan of the winch, which we used, not me, I wasn't involved with it, to get the big stone up on top? No. All right, because no, I'm talking I, to people about I, that, and uh, one of them thought but I, maybe that was you, I, I, you're I, the one who arranged that. No, but I do have a story about ashes and 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 winches, and that was the big stone for Alan Watts that was put up on the hill at, at Green Gulch. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I was so I was work leader and. Uh, this big stone came from Tassajara, I think, on a truck. I think Dan Welch organized that or something. I have some vague memory. And uh, here's this big stone, and we have to take it up this dirt road, uh, small, narrow dirt road on a steep hill, up to a site way up on the hills. And how are we going to get that big stone from here up to there? And um, we brainstormed and... Uh, I remember two attempts. The first attempt was, you know, maybe a helicopter. Well, I explored that, and it was too heavy for any helicopter that, that could do it. Or, or maybe maybe I probably could have found one that was, you know, $30,000 for one trip or something. But at any rate, the helicopter right. was out. Right. And then, and then well, we, were, we still had the horses at that point at Green Gulch. So, like, oh. Put it on a sled, make a make a metal sled. Put the rock on a sled. You got this team of horses. They drag things. We'll drag it up the road. Yeah. Okay. So we 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 organized that. We made the sled. What'd you make it sled it out of? I remember it was metal. I mean, I'm, I I yeah. I I organized and built a welding shop there, uh, blacksmith and welding shop. Yeah, uh, because I had that blacksmith training from Alex Weggers, um, so I built that. So I probably helped weld uh, weld a sled. It was uh, just a big old piece of, of, of sheet metal, is what I remember. And then you get the you know throw the rock on it and strap it on, probably, and get the horses to haul it. Yeah. So we we got that organized, and we got the horses, and we go up, and part way up. One of the horses slipped and kind of went off the side of the road. Now, obviously, the horse didn't hurt itself, or I remember that, but it was a failed attempt because the, it was too narrow and, and a horse fell off, you know? <laughs> mm. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, of course, there's a big ceremony 
company already organized and it's already advertised for a certain day where we're going to have a memorial for Alan Watts. And it's like, hmm, yeah, well, maybe not, because once The Rock got up there, there had to be some stuff going on. I think Dan actually cited it, um, if I recall. But to make a long story short, I just said, you know what? Why don't we win? I think it was like a, one of the Sundays. I said, you know, we've got a lot of great people that come and volunteer. Why don't we just get 50 people on a rope and haul it up there with people? And that's what we did eventually. Oh, that's great. And, and you, you had a pretty good rope, huh? Oh, yeah, a big honking rope, you know, a big, big honking rope. But, you know, kind of everybody tug, 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 but you get enough people, you just haul that thing up there. Oh, that is great. That is great. And how yeah, was the yeah. weather for that ceremony? Oh, well, you know, I, I, the ceremony must have come much later, but I mean, or, you know, at least a couple of weeks later, because, you know, Dan had to figure out where the ashes were going to be poured and cite the rock and do all of that, just getting it up there. But I don't know if you knew the weather, and that was a, a leading question, but it was some of the worst weather I've ever seen. Yeah, I've heard about it. <laughs> I remember. Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm I'm confused. I'm confused. I don't remember the weather for our own ceremony, but we had a ceremony, God, probably in the same nation for Chris Persig. It was Chris Persig where the weather oh, was. Oh, that's there. what I'm thinking of, too. And and I didn't know yeah, what it was. It was. Uh, it, it was yeah, that's Chris. what I'm thinking of, too. Because uh, Wendy Persig uh, works with us, with uh, Cuke Archives, uh, his oh. stepmother, and she wrote a whole long piece, like a hundred pages, on her oh. and, and, and Bob Pierce's experience at Zen Center with Chris dying and everything. And it's on cuke.com. And part of it is telling about that ceremony for Chris. And, and how, I would just, uh, you know, downpour rain. That, that's it. Oh, it was sideways rain. I mean, it was cold. It was sideways. And I remember his dad, Bob, saying, this is so appropriate. We were up there. We're holding umbrellas. We're drenched. And Bob's saying, you know, this is so appropriate. Chris led a stormy life. And here he is, you know, going out with a storm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris uh. and I worked together. Uh, Chris and I had a lot of a lot of nice times together when he stayed at Green Gold. So I, very fond of Chris. It was tragic. In fact, mm. yeah, no kidding. I have, yeah, it was. I, I have a, I have a statue that's five feet from me right now that I carved the day Chris, well, as a memorial for Chris. Ah. I used to be a carver. You know, Alex taught me to carve also, and ah. this is a, it's kind of an Inku knockoff. Let me read on the back of it. Oh my God, I haven't turned this over in decades. Dedicated to the memory of Chris Persig. Uh, send us a um, a photo or two or three of that, would you? Sure. It's one of my favorite. Actually, it's like I said, it's kind of an Inku knockoff that I carved. Yeah, I'll uh, with, do that. Uh, and and uh, one of them should you include you. Okay. I, I think great. Wendy would really uh, like to see that. Yeah, the the, and, the writing on the back is fading. And, you know, today is Ted Piercing's birthday. Oh, who's Ted? His brother. Chris's brother. 
Oh, never met him. No. Uh, 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 boy, David, what stories, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't, I, I can't even imagine, and that's true. The stories that you have to tell. I wish I were interviewing you and listening, but maybe another time I can hear more about you. Oh. You thought? Yeah, I talk about myself enough. I don't need to hear uh, it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I know you. I know you don't, but I think I'd love it. <laughs> uh, um, well, oh gosh! All right. So, so how how long were you at Zen Center? Uh, I uh, I think uh, I came in about 1970, and also I never actually lived at the city center. I went straight to Tassajara. Yeah, uh, from outside. I remember you at Tassajara. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I uh um and then I I believe I left in 1984. Uh-huh. So 14 14 years as a as a resident. Wow. Yeah. I went back in 85 for 3 ah. years. Ah. At, at Green ah. Gulch. I was there 2 years and then the city a year. Huh. Uh-huh. In- interesting. And yeah. uh did you ever live in Bolinas? Did you live with Liz, or did that? Yeah, I lived in Bolinas nine years with Liz, and uh, uh-huh. Liz, Liz Twomey, uh, wonderful, uh, we had a, uh, wonderful nine years. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, I, I always had another place. I had a little cabin in Vange, you might remember. Uh, mm, mm, mm. You remember uh, the the the. You know, by the creek there, like right next to the house next door that uh, Mayumi had. There was a little cabin. You know, I don't remember the cabin. I used to live in that house before Yvonne bought it. Uh, uh, when Nils and Maggie owned it? Uh, just after they sold it to Zen Center. Uh, well, should not not just after, but sometime after they sold it to Zen Center. I think Yvonne lived in the main part of the house, and I lived in the other part with my then wife Terry. You know, or oh or, yeah, yeah. Oh. So I I lived down there right near the creek. Yeah. Oh, you know what that reminds me of when you got married at that that wonderful park place in San Anselmo. I couldn't oh, make yeah. it, and it was I was so disappointed. Uh. And it was this great event that so many people went to. When was that? Uh, Oh, you know, my wife should should, uh, kick me for not knowing the exact date. Um, And actually, let me just tell a little story about that. That was a reception. We actually got married in the woods right outside uh, down in the meadow at Ring of Bones Endo. um, Uh Uh-huh. With about 30 people. Nelson performed the ceremony for us and um well, we actually owned a house there right near um gary schneider's and uh oh, is that right, right? right in the neighborhood yeah yeah i bought a house there. and nelson foster did the wedding wow yeah and nelson and i just well i was i was you know at a session last week with nelson on the east coast so we've been we've oh. been I've been working with Nelson for 35 years on a weekly basis. Wow. I feel so blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's a good man. 
He's a good man. Hmm. Well, did you get married um, in in uh uh in in the in like ninety five or around there? Yeah. Uh, well, see, Evan was Evan was born in ninety seven, so he must have been married in ninety five. Uh, yeah, I was living in yeah. in Gerstle Park in San Rafael, and uh, uh-huh. I can't remember why I couldn't go, but it was it's one of the. You know, every once in a while something happens. I really feel bad that I miss. Like one thing I missed was Layla Bachhorst's uh, funeral. Uh, yeah, you know, did, being there yeah, on I, Zoom. Uh, oh God, I don't know, a month or two ago. Uh, and I, I, uh, didn't make that. And I was very disappointed about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, I heard about it afterwards. Yeah, I wish I'd been there too. That was my that was my generation, you know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, those things happen. I remember uh, my son Clay said to me, "You know, uh, I used to take Clay with me to visit uh, older people uh, in uh, convalescent homes or just older students, you know, like Betty and Della and Claude and stuff." And yeah, uh, so and so. You know, and so he had a sense of being with people, meeting them before they died, and 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 that sort of ah. thing. And uh, he 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 mentioned to me that he felt bad, and then he, he was pretty young then. You know, he was maybe still a teenager, and he said he really felt bad because he didn't see so and so before they died. And I said, "Well, get used to it. Uh, you, and you try as hard <laughs> as you can." There could be a lot of things you miss you'll regret. Uh, just don't yeah. regret it too much. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's interesting. Regret's an important feeling, you know, so that we can, hmm, next time I'll maybe change a little bit, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, look, you got any highlights at Tassahara you want to share at Zen Center? Well, you know, I, I you know I was kind of anticipating that, and so many people uh, at Zen Center were kind to me and influenced me. You know, the friendships that come, and I I felt like I was struggling at Tassajara uh, emotionally and and I mean physically too a little bit, but mostly emotionally, and. Um, it's, I don't even want to name a single name because there were so many kindnesses, David, you know, uh, befriending me, uh, companioning me. Uh, I mean, I get flooded with images of people's faces and experiences, you know. Mm. And then one of the hot, you know, one of the highlights was meeting JB Blunk, of course, there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then becoming friends with JB, uh, you know, to eventually uh, spending time with him out in Inverness at his house. I would just, when I felt kind of out of sorts, I would go up and, and, and live with, with he and Christine for a few days, you know? No kidding. So, well, that's really something yeah, if he yeah. let you, because, uh, uh, you know, he he wasn't open to everybody. No, no, no. He, 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 he I felt he took me on, you know, um, just as a as a close friend, um, yeah, and it changed changed my life. Really yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we were very very close. I met him through Sim Vandren, and 
you know, I started going yeah, out lived, there. Yeah, Sim lived across the street, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. they lived next door. Uh, yeah. There, you know, there wasn't a street between them. Uh, there was. I this, know. It was yeah. Woods. <laughs> <laughs> they were at the dead end of the street, and where Gordon Oslow Ford lived over there, and Nature Conservancy land started in Inverness up in the hills. So yeah. you know, I'd go out and visit Sim, and Sim took me over and introduced me to JB. And I just loved all his woodwork and everything. And I got into that. And I paid to have him come to Tassajara as a guest. Uh, because uh, I, oh, I wanted to get oh. him involved. And um, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, I, I suggested so many things. Nobody would want to hear it. And Dick was uh, often a little more responsive to what... Uh, people in his salon would suggest. So I just got him in there and, you know, <laughs> he met Dick and Dick learned about what he did. Next thing I knew, I was, I was going with him to select uh, wood for those amazing uh, seating sculpture he made there. Uh, and then, and, and he invited me, I got to do, I got to be his assistant as as my work at Tassajara. Oh wow! So I so I helped carve those benches. I mean, I did some of the finishing and some of the roughing out. And, oh, that um, is cool. That is cool. Yeah, and yet he taught me to make a bowl. So I used to, you know, when the day was over, I'd take a chainsaw and go down at the down to the flats or something. I forget where I went, and would carve carve a bowl. I still have the bowl. That's an interesting story. I the bowl I carved, I gave to Green Gulch in the seventies. And I used to see it there. They used to put fruit or bread in it every time I would go, like once a decade. <laughs> and then it disappeared one. Then it disappeared one day. And, and then some said, "Oh, it broke. There's a crack in it." And I went, "Oh, okay, you know." And then somebody scored it for me. And that's when JB was still alive. And I asked him, "How can I fix this?" And he said, "Stitch it with copper wire, and make sure the stitches show." So I have the bowl in my house now that uh, I made, you know, under his influence. And oh, that's neat. You know, it, it was used for 30 years, so it has this patina, you know, of, of, of use. And oh, it has wow. Copper wire. I'll, I'll send you a picture of that, too. Wow. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> did you visit him any when he was, uh, uh, you know, losing his memory? No. Um uh, you know, the years went by and I, you know, got married and did stuff. And then, uh, I do remember, uh, calling one day and he answered and he said, I said, how you doing? You know? And he said, not so well, Eric he said, I'm, I'm losing my memory. It's, 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 it's really hard. And mm -hmm. we, we talked and then that was the last time. And I think. Um, I don't know how this occurred. I found out about his head at Brown. You, you wait a minute. I, I didn't hear that. You found out about JB's death from Ed Brown and and how he died. You well, know, tell tell me what Ed told you. Tell me what Ed told you. Well, it, it, well, the, the the structure of the story was that you know JB wanted to end his end his own life with you know. Uh, and with a polite word for it, but suicide, you know, um, self, you know, self stuff and had, 
Christine help him uh, with that, and that was 20 years ago, I think, David, if I can. Oh, yeah, at least. And he wanted uh, Richard Baker to be involved with it. Dick told me about this. Uh, Mm. I, 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 you know, and I can't remember if, I don't think Dick wanted to do anything official, but I can't remember mm. if he was there or not. Uh, I, I didn't know anything yeah. about it at the time. The last time yeah. I saw JB, it was almost like uh, I, I wasn't sure he knew who I was. Or uh, it, yeah. it, it yeah. wasn't. I'd, I'd lost him. You know, he might have remembered who I was, but it. He didn't want a mm. visitor, really, and mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, mm. it was sad. Mm. It is sad. You know, it's really interesting. There's a uh, a great, uh, a, a really uh, great. It's such a silly word. There's a potter, uh, not actually a potter, uh, 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 a guy who runs a gallery in Kyoto, Robert Yellen. Um, it's a lovely, lovely little thing. It's really his house. It's in front of his house, and he's got pots on the tatamis. And the first time I visited Robert, I was sitting on the tatami. It's like, it must have been an eight or ten mat raised area, you know. And uh, there's pots everywhere. There's like 30, 40 pots on the tatami, and you sit next to the pots. And I picked up one. I said, oh, wow, this is cool. I like it. And I'm looking at it. He said, yeah, that was made in 800. And I take a deep breath and put it back on the tatami. <laughs> wow. So Robert, runs, Robert runs a kind of a gallery. And, he, you know, and I've never spent less than an hour, an hour and a half with him there, you know, drinking two or three cups of tea, looking at pots, handling pots. He said, you know, my real goal is to educate people. He said, but... Um, yeah, wait a minute. Somebody comes His in real goal is to what? I, can, you know, I didn't hear that. Really, we can just experience this together. That's my goal. Um, Wait a minute. You know, what what did he say his people. real so goal was? The I brought it up was when I was with him uh, in November last year at his little gallery. It's right on the Tetsugaku no Michi, if you know the uh, Kyoto. Anyway, uh-huh. um, he, uh, somehow I mentioned JB. He goes, you know JB Blanc? And I go, oh, yeah. He said, whoa, he's super famous. And he said, they've just published this book on him. Look at this. You know, and he disappears through the door and comes back with a book. Um, anyway, he's become quite uh, quite famous 20 years after his death, David. I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, particularly in Japan, because he worked with Noguchi, uh, Isamu. Yeah. Uh, and also with um, Hamada, the great potter Hamada. Yeah, yeah, he, and he's good friends with Isamu, and there's pictures of him with Isamu and maybe pictures of him with Hamada. Isamu Noguchi. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, most people won't know what Isamu means. <laughs> oh, I see. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so I have a, I have an, I have a whole set of beautiful, beautiful ceramic work that JB gave me. He, JB once said to me, you know, when I wanted some work, he said, well, there's only, he said, I only do two, two ways. I either charge you full price or I give it to you. So I'm going to give it to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and someone said, Someone said, you know, I looked up the ceramics and these things are worth like a thousand bucks a piece or something, you know. Mm. Yeah, but, mm. but they're mine, they're mine that JB gave me. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's really <laughs> interesting. All right. 
Now, uh, that's wow. that's one person uh, you worked with. Uh, yeah. I want to move to another one. In uh, uh, 1974, I think, I I drove uh, Richard Baker to meet Alex Wagers. And I hmm. said, you're, you're about to meet the Leonardo da Vinci of Carmel Valley. And he said, mm-hmm. don't exaggerate. And I said, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? I have a whole thing on, on Wagers on, uh, com. I'd love it if you uh, wrote something to add to it. In fact, you might have already done so. I don't know what's there anymore. No, no, uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, anyway, I found a 19, like 35 San Francisco Chronicle, uh, article on him that called him the Leonardo da Vinci of Carmel <laughs> Valley. Isn't that cool? It is cool, David. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad for your eye. And you know, your, your passion and enthusiasm for people is, uh, you know, just, well, you have, you have similar taste to me, so it's pretty spot on. You know, I, I just love that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Alex, but you uh, see, I was a friend and promoter of Alex's. I wasn't a student. You became a student. I think Peter Parch introduced right. me to Alex. You must know Peter Parch. Well, I only met Peter through, I, I don't know if she was married to him, whoever, you know, remember? Um, Penny, oh, huh? P- Penny? Well, say it again. Penny? No. No. There was a, there was a there was a, a a woman at Zen Center. I mean, a woman at Tassajara. We were fellow students together at Tassajara, and it turns out she had formerly, I think, been married to Peter. Anyway, she was later married. Um, uh, oh, uh, uh, who was also actually a potter. It's interesting, but uh, but he became a baker, and uh, they've been married, and I assume they're still married. Um, I'm talking about tall man, big big man. Uh, uh, helped helped get the bakery going, perhaps became a baker in the early days, 70s, 80s. Uh, anyway, she. Oh, she, Peter Overton. And anyway, and yeah, no. Yes, Peter Overton. Yeah, and what, what was his wife? Susan. Oh, yeah, you're Susan. right. Peter Parch Wasn't, was married to Susan Overton? I believe so. Oh, I forgot all about that. I think so. Or at least she either knew him very well or was married at one point. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forgot all about that. Uh, he he yeah. married someone else. Uh, yeah. When, when I knew him, I didn't know him well, but... Some, somehow I'd drop by and see them when I was on a town trip and stuff. And he told me I mm-hmm. had to meet Wagers. And that yeah. was great. That was great. I, I spent, you know, I lived with Alex and Marion um, there and uh, apprenticed with him, learned blacksmithing. Learned, I wanted to learn sculpture, uh, but he immediately had me making my own chisels. So I had to learn blacksmithing to learn sculpture. And yeah. um, you're you're right. I mean, the, one of those incredible masters, you know, just uh, with depth and depth of skill. He had trained in Italy, 
with sculptors in Italy and the old style of sculpting. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that right? Yeah, no. And he had, he had his, his technique, the mm, pinch technique, or I don't know what it is. It's probably a traditional one of clay modeling. He taught me to clay model first. And then, and I made a number of clay models that I then cast. I used to cast Buddhas for green goats and I, I don't think any of them still exist. They plaster kind of, you stick them outdoors, the plaster doesn't last. And, um, ah, which just brings us up to another person. I'll just throw the name out. When Harry Roberts and I became close, Harry taught me to cast. Yeah. Uh, to well, make, I was going to hit on Harry after Alex. Well, we got, he <laughs> taught me to make uh, rubber molds and then cast so that I could cast the, the clay models that I did. Anyway, Alex would teach us the clay model. And it's like, no, I want to sculpt. I want to carve. I want to carve. And he goes, you know, patience. <laughs> you learn to clay model and, and, and carving is the same thing sort of in reverse because with clay modeling, you put one pinch on at a time and then you kind of, oh, okay, that feels, no, what over here? One pinch here. And with sculpting, you just, you take one shaving off at a time. So it's kind of the reverse process. So, mm. um, Mm. I I was very close to Alex. He actually uh, asked me, uh, you know, one of those really uh, just uh, made me really proud of myself. I was a little surprised. He asked me to move in and take over his uh, studio uh, uh, as he was older. Yeah. Well, that's and, how uh, I met him. He wanted to pass it on. Yeah. And he was hoping Zen Center would take it. And yeah, and I, I, I declined, you know. <laughs> yeah, you declined. Zen Center couldn't take it on. And you know why he said that is he had a neighbor who was an artist and had mm. a homemade home and that the whole piece was just uh, a treasure. That, and it was, you know, so, you know, at least an acre or a bunch of land like like Alex had, and he gave it to the Monterey Art mm, Society mm. or whatever to preserve it, and they just subdivided it, you know? And, uh, I mean, but they didn't really have any choice. I mean, they, they might have been able right. to to uh, uh, do a thing where it would ha wouldn't be able to be subdivided or whatever, but, you know, it's too much for to take on. Uh, and yeah. that's what Alex wanted. And I know that uh, a number of you that were, were you in the group of people he taught blacksmithing? Uh, I, ne I never was in a group, but I, I worked with him privately. Yeah. Well, there, there were a and number of people who studied blacksmithing with him who had met and talked about trying to, preserve his place but n nobody could did, did you know uh andrew atkinson oh yeah a andrew he, came, he was a little Alex, later so. than i he, he was a little later than i i think he went went on to actually pursue blacksmithing fairly fairly oh you know, yeah. yeah he's uh, andrew's done fantastic uh metal sculpture he's done a lot of stainless steel sculpture uh uh, mm. you, you can see it on com. Okay, I'd like to. That's yeah, I, I remember I mean, that. That's wonderful. I don't know how much I have. 
but uh yeah yeah it's yeah he he learned a lot uh yeah. yeah alex did five books for random house i think yeah or uh, norton i remember the word norton in it i don't know if that was anyway but yeah oh maybe it wasn't you know, was it norton publishers or something anyway it doesn't matter five yeah, books the, the two there was a couple on blacksmithing and one on sculpture. Um, one on tool making. Tool making, yeah. At, at, at some point, I was I was an assistant for Alex's courses. Alex would invite me to be his assistant, mm. so he would he would go off and do something, and he'd and then I would teach a little section, and I would be like a TA for him, you know. So mm. I got to, and I was uh, my my sort of. Uh, academic um mania <laughs> that i've had my all my life uh you know i tried to memorize every every single step that he the way he taught it in in stages you know he had a very clear teaching technique where oh. he, would, he would do this he would do this he would oh. do this he would do this he would do this and uh so i memorized each step and so he he knew he could rely on me to do it exactly the way he did it. So wow, that, that is interesting. You know, uh, he, yeah. he came from a place that's not very far from here, in uh, really? eastern Java. Wow. Wow, he, I knew that. He was Dutch-Indonesian. Uh, right. And I've looked on the map to see where it is. And, you know, Bali's just right next to Java. Uh, mm, and... Mm. Um, uh, uh yeah and and you remember that sculpture he had or at least he had pictures of it of the indonesian family the the wife the the husband and they they were two sides it was wooden sculpture i uh, no, i don't know if it was wooden uh and on the back was the water buffalo that was all one piece of wood isn't it amazing yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He he was just amazing. And it, so craft. I mean, such such a detailed craft of yeah, what he it, did, you know. His uh I he gave me uh his uh some uh ingrain etchings of yeah. his very beautiful and extremely detailed the waves. Oh. Do you remember the waves? Coming yeah, up, yeah, yeah. I, you can see I have, through I I the waves myself. Huh? I have one of those myself. Oh, great! One, David, I have one. Yeah, great. And you know, he he made that from wood that he cut. I mean, he was so <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, he cut the pear tree, and then got the ingrain pear wood that he cured, so that he could carve on the ingrain pear wood that he had cut with the tools that he had made to actually make the art piece. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is true because he didn't tell me, but somebody told me they said uh, that he's made car parts when he needed a part for his car. Oh, 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 I, I have no doubt whatsoever because he said, <laughs> like, no, no, he said, he said when he, you know, I, part of his early training was he was the, blacksmith if you will on a ship and when a part on the ship failed he would make the part to replace it while they were in the ocean okay so oh, that's pretty good so that's 
So it makes total sense that he would make a part for his car. I mean, total sense. Uh, he, he had a metal lathe, and I mean, he he had, he, he knew how to do that stuff. You know, he he and Marion, I think Marion came with him from Indonesia. I mean, uh, 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 no, no, I think they met. To, they they might have met in Seattle. Uh, Interesting. Uh, he went up north, and he was doing stuff for the army. Uh, and and he designed. Remember his his uh, hovercraft. He wanted the army to use them instead of helicopters. Oh. Oh. Yeah, he was an engineer. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and David, let me, go ahead. I've got another name I want to throw out. All right. Your, well, I just want to say one other thing. And then at some point they were in Big Sur selling like jewelry they'd make or something I, I don't know quite what and then but got a got that place i think he might have been given that place in carmel valley in the early days yeah yeah you know i've got a lot of vague memories it it might all be on his uh page on com. that's great what a great job you're doing of of keeping these memories, you know, and um, so that we can enrich our lives and people can learn from them, you know? <laughs> There's too many. <laughs> I know, I know. It's fun. Uh, what's so the other name you wanted to throw out? Well, I have a random memory, but it's a person who comes to me a lot. I didn't spend much time with them. That was Eileen Caddy. Do you know who that is? Mm-mm. Well, I, 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 I don't recall it right now. So she was the one, she was the basically the founder of the Findhorn community. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, to, I never had anything to do with Findhorn except I knew Paul Hawken, who wrote the magic right. of Findhorn. So anyway, Eileen came to Green Gulch with uh, William Irwin Thompson. Is that the right name? Yes, um, I knew yeah. him. She, yeah, well, she came. And we just like, I was like, I don't know, were we, were we together in a former life or something? Like from, mm. from, from moment one when I saw her, you know, and I'm a, you know, like you, I'm a 35 year old young man kind of, you know, running around barefoot wearing a Japanese robe, right? Uh, and, uh, kind of, you know, Pretty naive, really. <laughs> Not very worldly, but mm. and you know, she's an old British lady, right? She wore a British print dress, and she just looked like a British lady. But boy, man, uh, we made a really great connection. My first, uh, I was I was hanging around when they were doing their conference. I guess I got to serve or something. So, so you know, I'd see them from a distance, and you know, bring tea in or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I came in. I came into the. Uh, I don't know, it's the, the, the place right outside the dining room that's got two stories and there's an upstairs room at Green Gulch. I forget what that place Wheelwright is called. Wheelwright Center. Yeah, yeah, Wheelwright Center. It's upstairs. They were up there talking. And as I passed, uh, my memory was, I, I passed her and she goes, excuse me, young man, you know, um, do you have any glue? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I do work in the shop. I can get you some glue. Yeah, well, what's what's the problem? She says, oh, so the flower on my shoe, you know, she was wearing a pair of British shoes that had a kind of a, I don't know, some kind of flower on it, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, the flower, flower on my shoe, um, has come off. And I went, Oh, sure. I can get you some glue. 
I said, well, what happened? She said, oh, I was passing the pool yesterday and I got the urge to jump in. So I jumped in with all my clothes and, and it, I guess it came loose then. That is funny, so, man. And I went, okay, yeah, I'll get you some glue, lady. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who's, I mean, like, I was naive. I had no idea who she was or anything. So in the course of the few days that she was there, we became very good friends, you know. Huh, that's funny. She, she, yeah, I mean, later I was outside doing something, and she walked by me and grabbed my arm and put my arm in hers and said, let's go for a walk. And we walked down toward the ocean, you know. Mm. And I basically said, you know, who are you? <laughs> my naive version of who are you? And she goes, oh, that's another story. But she said, I have a question to ask you. I go, yeah. She said, I had a dream last night. And I dreamed of this kind of a house. It was kind of on a hill. a strange roof. And uh, she said, I've got some sense. And I said, well, that's called the, what is it? What's the cabin on the hill? It was that uh, Terrell Richardson made. You remember the one that? Uh, uh, that's uh, the Hope up? Cottage. Yeah. I said, oh, she said, oh, that's it. Yeah. She said, is that around here? I dreamed about it. I went, yeah, it's right up there. She goes, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like, again, in my mind, it's like, lady, who are you? Mm. So then she started telling me about how she had heard voices that she called, I think, fairies. that had guided her to found some kind of little farm in a sandy area in Scotland. Am I right? Right. Anyway, right. Yeah. And she told me the story. She said, I don't know. She said, it's, I don't know about those voices. They're just, I don't know where they come from. They're strange, you know, but she said, I have to be a little bit quiet to hear them. She said, when my kids were young, I had, I used to have to go, go out and sit in the bathroom because I couldn't hear the voices when it was always noisy. So I'd have right. to sit in the bathroom to hear them hear the voices and I'm like man whoever you are this is awesome <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> you would have liked her David she's in the realm of JB and Alex and you know the mm. many 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 characters that constellated around Zensener you know I almost went to Findhorn Katrinka was managing a, a very uh expensive place in uh Scotland that's owned by the same mm -hmm. people that own the Pelican Inn. And, mm -hmm, and she mm -hmm. managed the Pelican Inn for 10 years. And they uh -huh. own. Now who, who's Katrinka? My wife. And, ah. and, uh, so while we were there, uh, they, the, the people who own the Pelican Inn also owned a much more expensive place. I think it, I figured the cheapest room was 650 pounds a night. Are you, oof, 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 oof. Um, and uh, it was really something. So we got a free night there. And it was near Findhorn. And, uh, but we didn't make Findhorn. And maybe it wasn't mm -hmm. possible at that time. I can't remember why. It's right by some famous battle of Cottle something or... Hmm, uh, mm, mm. uh, Anyway, mm. uh, I <laughs> anyway, so I I never met those people, but I've heard about them. Well, I shouldn't say I've never met them. I might have met her when she was there at Green Gulch, but 
I don't remember it. You know. Right. She did. She didn't. She didn't ask you to glue on a a, a flower a, a, and a, a, a flower that came off because she jumped in the pool. Right. I would have remembered <laughs> uh, that. Uh, and uh, all right. So how did you get yeah. involved with Harry Roberts? Um. Uh, he must have shown up at Green Gulch, and again, um, I had a, uh, you know, like many people, I mean, Harry had a presence, you know, and um, somehow we started um, working together, uh, um, and uh, again, I, uh, I, I, Sort of ended up over a course of I don't know how long now. Oh, you know, I think I'm I think I'm remembering the first time I saw him. Mm. Am I? Am I? I think he gave a talk in the Wheelwright Center, a brief talk, and then he was leaning on the rails on his crutch. He was using one crutch at that time, I think. He's leaning on the rail outside, just kind of staring into space. And I approached him and said something, and he said something back. And I'm like, hmm, hmm. So whatever course of events led led to it, um, we started working together, I think maybe first because during work where I was helping him or something. And then later we would spend days off together. Um, doing various things, and then at some point in this this journey, he needed to go back up to Arcata uh, or someplace up in Humboldt. I think it was Arcata. No, wherever the Klamath River comes into the ocean is where he was from. He still had his house up there, and he was going to pack it up. So it was my job to drive up there with him. I went more than once up there, maybe one, maybe once or twice. So he and I drove in his pickup truck up there and back. And uh, we, we were just very, very, very close. Uh, um, I, I, I have, I don't know, hundreds of pages of notes of things that he would say that I've written. You know, uh, I used to, I'm a note journal taker by habit. And I also like an encyclopedic. So every story he would tell me, I would write down and, Experiences we'd have, I would write down. And well, what are you going to do with that? I don't know, David. Is it legible? Is it legible? Um, most of it. I mean, I also like writing, so Why don't I have, you scan uh, it and send it to me. Okay, that's a good idea. That the way we preserve it, huh? Yeah, someday right. Somebody's interested. Someday It'll, somebody's interested. It's archived. Yeah. Yeah. Although, let me tell you. To me, I I I don't think anything's going to last very long, including digital uh, information. Mm. But mm. Uh, for as long as it lasts, okay, it's cool. But to me, the best thing is just like talking to you right now. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 my see. That's my that's my faith in in the in the ritual and ceremonial work that I do. Yeah, is that is that you light you light a spark and the spark lives you know you can write things you know uh this circling back to where we started but when i was worked as a scientist for 25 years and you know 
lecture every week. Um, I always considered my lectures, uh, again, uh, well, I, I don't even know what to call them, but stories. I always felt like I was a storyteller because I felt like, mm. you know what? Any piece of information I could say, they could look up. The information is not what I'm imparting. I wanted to impart energy. I wanted to impart why I loved what I was doing. And mm. I wanted to impart what, why it's a mystery. So my goal always to was just present present this, you know, present this, present. And then, you know, they would go away with a feeling that would then be a, a living spark that would lead them. Like I said, they could look up any information, you know, information is not. And, and, and of course I gave a lot of information, but that wasn't the point. Anyway, thank you for <laughs> that. Sounds like something, uh, Ari Roberts could say too. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. nice. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I learned a lot from Harry. He's a very dear man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to spend time with him, uh, uh, casually because I have that place at, at Avon's and, and I worked mm-hmm. on it and I, I took it a, uh, it was a tack house, you know, a, a little shack for saddles and I turned it into a cabin with a deck and a picture window on the creek and, it was stuccoed and had the it, the walls were totally changed. The roof was expanded, mm. and I put it on mm-hmm. uh, like very very thick rebar legs. Uh, well, they they weren't really what was holding it up, but Yvonne wanted chicken feet and called it the Baba Yaga hut after the <laughs> Russian folktale of the witch uh, that would walk around in a house on chicken feet. But anyway. Someone listening to this would have no idea who Harry was or what he did. He could have been a mechanic. So why don't you tell us what what Harry did (laughs) and what you learned from him? Okay. (laughs) Well, you you know, um, again, uh, I'll do it by telling a personal story. All right. And 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 maybe the personal story will be you know a spark uh, that will or, or a seed that can grow. Um, after being with Harry for a, a while and, and being close to him, one day at Green Gulch we got in his pickup truck and we'd gone someplace and we come back to Green Gulch and rather than going down the road we stopped at the top, you know. And uh, one thing Harry did fairly often was stop which again was you know pretty uh compatible with our zen work um and our zen practice but he would stop at you know moments just to be so we stopped the pickup truck at the top of the road and he gazes off to the hillside on the other side uh, of green gulch you know over there And as if he was talking to himself, which he may have been, I don't even remember. He just said, you know, and and like this was not to make a point. This was not. It was just he was, you know, he was bubbling. He was feeling. He said, you know, Eric. The hills are alive. Look at that hill over there. It's, It's alive. And again, I got the sense that he was experiencing it, you know, and just the musing were just coming out. 
He said, most people don't realize it. He said, actually, the earth is moving right this moment, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, I'm like, holy cow, you know, you know, I'm racing around all the time in my mind, <laughs> at least, and not appreciating, you know, how everything's alive. Everything has a, <clears throat> and we don't appreciate it. And my own personal um, reaction to that at the moment was, I said, I'm so sorry that my life is over. I was 37 or something, David. (laughs) I'm so sorry my my life is done because I would like to study the earth and try to mm, uh, touch that aliveness and somehow bring that aliveness, you know, to awareness for others. Too bad my life's over, you know, that I can't do that. Yeah. So, so a few years later when I decided to leave Zen Center, I thought, hey, why not study the earth? Why not study something that would be interesting? Oh, water. Hmm. Flowing water, rivers. Oh, I like that. Mm. And when it, then I, it was really to bring that message that Harry uh, shared with me in that moment about everything that we pass by so quickly has a spirit, has a, has a, has a, has a depth, you know, and we pass by it. And Harry didn't. I remember another experience. Um, he was sitting out underneath a tree at Yvonne's. I came down and was sitting in a chair, just sitting there. And again, uh, as if he was musing to himself, he said, Eric, yeah, here, because I was picking him up. We're going to go work or something, go do welding or something. But he's sitting in a chair and he's not budging. And he said, "You know what?" And and in this, anyway, I, this is out of context. I don't know if you can get the feeling for this, but he said, "I just saw a flower fall off the tree." And I'm like, "Whoa!" And he said, "It just," he he said some version of, "That's it." You know, that's it. Oh, that's like, whoa. When do I allow myself to see a flower fall off a tree mm. and then be moved by it? I mean, he was almost crying. You know? mm. So he had that. So that's a way of describing Harry uh, in by telling you personal experiences. You know, mm. um, Well, but what was his training? Well, see, I, I, again, I'm repeating things that I've read that Tim Buckley wrote and that Yvonne told me, you know, maybe I'll just tell you what he told me, you know, yeah. because you can read the others by from, from other people. Uh, Harry said he grew up with Robert, uh, and I later learned that Robert Spott was uh, a high man with the Yurok tribe in Northern California. Um, and it's... I understood it um, with my limited understanding. Robert Spott, uh, who you could probably look up, was the last of the high men. I guess what, when we watch TV as kids, we called medicine men. (laughs) But Harry always called it the high man, high man. Mm. And he, Robert was trained in the traditional ways of a Yurok high man or medicine man. Um, and uh turns out later when I read about it, Harry was half Irish or maybe all Irish. 
I can't remember, but a good portion Irish is what Harry was, but his, his dad and mom uh, lived in the Yurok area. I think his dad had worked in the cannery and a lot of the Native Americans, um, the Yuroks worked in the cannery. And Harry, as a child, um, got perhaps, and I'm reaching here because I don't really memorize history stuff, but I think he was taken in by the Spot family and Robert um, somehow took a shining to him and trained Harry from uh, maybe a young age uh, in the ways of the Yurok uh, and and to be a high man. And um, uh, Harry felt like that was his inner nature was uh, uh, he was he, even though he was probably born Irish or mostly Irish uh, that he was a Yurok uh, and trained as a Yurok. One story he told me another that was impressive to me was uh, he said one day I went to see Fanny and I'm like well, who's Fanny so and I picture her as an old lady an old Native American lady and he said. Uh, and, and she had some kind of medicine, too. Uh, I don't know what her technical term was, but she was a, uh, you know, a person who was deeply, deeply into the traditions there. And um, he said Fanny had a, a rabbit on her lap. Uh, and I said to Fanny, what are you doing? And she said, I'm helping it die. Hmm. And, and he kind of inquired more deeply, and she said, you know, it's the least you can do. So I'm just going to sit here as this, as this rabbit passes on, you know. Mm. It, impressed, it impressed me deeply, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that does that help give a picture of Harry? And Yeah, uh, well, he was also yeah. like a cowboy. <laughs> and, uh, well, and, he, was, he worked, as a, worked as a machinist. Yeah, but but he had a cowboy past too. Did he? Yeah, I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that. Uh, and hmm. uh, he told me that uh, he he uh, was a dealer in Vegas at one point. Uh, and and he said he could see through the cards. Some he said <laughs> he would look at the other people's cards. Uh, like in in poker or something. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And and it said that what was on the other side, the the face side, would flash at him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. But maybe the cowboy thing is. Um, uh, so he did I, a lot of things. Yeah, I, I think it was a phase. It's uh, but. Uh, you know, a lot. Of, I, I I don't my my memories. I I I don't know uh, anymore a lot whether they're things I learned directly or other people told me, or even what, whether they had happened to me or something I heard. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know mm, what I mean? Mm. Uh, yeah. I, but I he told me that he he had a like a natural plant nursery. Up in mm -hmm. our Arcata area, where wherever he was from. I, Do you know about actually, that? Actually, actually, his native plant nursery was on the Russian River, um, not too far from us. I think it was not in Arcata. I think the oh. natural plant nursery was on the Russian River, um, Gurnville. 
Guerneville. Oh, it was in Guerneville. Yeah, he had a plant nursery in Guerneville. Oh, well, that's nearby. Had, yeah, and he had two sons. Um, I met both of them when he was dying. I met both of his sons. Oh. Completely different kinds of people with his two sons. Oh. One, one of them painfully uh, estranged from him. And, uh, yeah, and, and I never even... Harry never mentioned him, you know. Oh. Uh, and the other one, other one, just a simple, simple man that I imagine, again, like you, I have no idea the reality of the story, but I imagine it a, 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 a craftsman, like a metal worker, or maybe even a machinist or something. That is, Johnny was the one son, and then the other son. Uh, anyway, it was I saw them together, and it was it was it wasn't uh, comfortable to see them together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. His, son, his son was not happy with, and then Harry was dying, you know. Yeah. Oof. No, he, Harry, Harry did a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he was a machinist. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, he worked as a machinist for quite a while. Um, yeah. Uh, but he did a lot of things, as you said. You know, he ran a plant, native plant nursery. That he loved. That he loved he, plants. So his. He told me his native plant nursery was the best nursery on the West Coast. He really liked it. (laughs) I didn't know it was so nearby. Now, there have been people who told me. Now, I was still young and somewhat impressionable and and probably, you know, um, I often have said to myself, and this is just a story, uh, I've often said to myself that my fathering wasn't complete. So I had a number of apprenticeships with older men. Um, and, and my story to myself was to kind of complete the edges of fathering that I didn't get from my own father. You well, know? that was a gift from a- your father, your biological father, I'll tell you, if that's true. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and my look bi- what you got biology- out of it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, Alex, I apprenticed to Alex, I apprenticed to Harry. You know, J.D. was more like a... a, a, a a really, really beloved older brother. But then when I went back to the university at UC um, Berkeley to study, I apprenticed with an older uh, a guy named Luna Leopold, who was the son of Aldo Leopold. Oh, goodness. Uh, who, yeah, so Luna was uh, ostensibly the, the, the best river geomorphologist in the world at one point, you know. And when I met him, he said, whoa. I've been looking for a student like you. So I apprenticed with Luna, ended up living with him and working with him side by side and absorbing, absorbing, uh, you know, again, a lot of stuff that you can't get in words um, about mm. how to do how to do field research the way, you know, with, with the spirit of Aldo and, and Luna, Luna's spirit. So I think I apprenticed, what I'm, what I'm trying to get around with, People have said to me that Harry had a knack for drama and a knack for exaggeration. So <laughs> I yeah. always took everything he said for, you know, absolute truth. But yeah. he did ha- he did have a way of pausing and you know, saying things that were very profound in a in a way, you know. So I- I've often wondered in hindsight Hmm, how much of that was a little bit drama, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, and it doesn't matter. 
uh, he had a lot of insight. It was obvious. Uh, yeah. And there yeah, was always things to learn from him. You know what he said to me once? You know, Harry's thing was he was, uh, you know, he smoked like some really good cigarettes. Did he smoke Balkan Sobranis? Uh, I have no idea. He used I, to roll his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd bum, I wouldn't have, I'd bum cigarettes from him. And, uh, you know, he got that, uh, he had some sort of hepatitis or he had a hip infection or something that came yep. from, he had a hip replacement and then he got a, uh, infection and he said there, there's two types. One's like cow and the other's pig and he's got the pig one and it can't, they can't do anything about it. What what was that about? You know, I think you've said just about all I know. In fact, I've forgotten the cow pig thing. You know, good uh, memory, David. Great. Yeah. Well, it might no, not I be think, cow. I remember pig. It was. Well, but, he he was he was he was he was doing some kind of research at Berkeley, and they had this stuff, and they were researching it. And he said everybody else died, but he didn't. But it ate up his hip and. I remember when he got his hip replaced, but that didn't work because he got his hip replaced. We took him to the hospital, right? In Green in Greenbrae, you know, and we got the hip replaced. And I visited him in the hospital, and oh, um, yeah, but um, yeah, and he's always had those crutches, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because I one of the reasons I turned to to my movement and dance in 2018 was. Right before that, I got both my hips replaced, and all of a sudden, I realized I could move again. So I had oh my gosh, really? Yeah, you know, I've had I, I had miraculous hip replacement. Well, again, as a research scientist, I found uh, what I can. Well, she's probably the best surgeon in the world for this particular surgery. She's been elected the the only woman to be elected the president of the anterior approach for hip surgery, and she's moved on from living near here twice, but I, I flew to Seattle to get my second one done because I mean, she's a, she's a miracle surgeon. I mean, I, I haven't been able to move this way since I was 18 years old. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. The Is that right? Movement. As, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, my yeah, sister I mean, had, some people uh, have, my sister had a hip replacement uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was outpatient. Yeah, no, I, I I went home the next morning. Yeah, it was yeah, and it was it, it's amazing what they're doing now with that. Yeah, wow. very 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 like anyway. So Harry, back to Harry with his, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, he had those he had that problem, and you know he drank uh, in the evening. Uh, 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 he said he had it was, you know, one of the one of the things he said was it was pain control, you know. Um, but he would about five or six o'clock. He would take his uh, uh, some kind of pain med- pain pills. Um, he had morphine. He, well, later and later toward the end, he had morphine. But the pills were just some kind of. I mean, in the right at the beginning, you know, not when he was I don't, to death. I mean, I, I think he wasn't taking the morphine. Well, was he? Hal Hal Balin helped him toward the end there. Oh. Hal's another story, but yeah, yeah Hal, <laughs> yeah, Hal, Hal Balin helped him a lot um, toward the end and was giving him whatever kind of drugs he needed. I mean, Hal was alternative, so he didn't, you know, care what, <laughs> just whatever helped Harry. 
Yeah. But anyway, Harry would take Harry would take pills and drink six, seven, eight beers at night. Oh, really? Every night. Yeah, every night. Yeah, because uh, I used to buy him the beers. I used to buy him the beers. He liked Anchor Steam. Oh, yeah, that's get good me stuff. The, get me the blue caps, Eric, not the gold caps. Get me the blue caps. Yeah. And I'd go into I'd go into the liquor store and buy three, four, five, you know, six packs of Anchor Steam. Sometimes I would get like a a, a big bottle of Irish whiskey when I was working mm. on that um, that cabin, and uh, mm-hmm. I loved you know like drinking uh, Irish whiskey and working on the cabin, and I couldn't get I couldn't drink too much to stop me from working. Or I don't know. I just didn't. Uh, if I was, if I was in that zone, you know, if I was in that mm-hmm. zone, mm-hmm. if I wasn't in that mm-hmm. zone, then a couple of shots uh, would be all I'd want. Uh, but there was no limit to what I could do, and it, it wouldn't. I, I could be like very alert. And I remember Harry coming out and talking to me, and then he said before he left, he said. You know, it's better not to start drinking before noon. (laughs) (laughs) David, I have a soft spot for Bushmills myself for various reasons. I was introduced to Bushmills by an old friend, you know, who's Uh now dead, like many of our friends. So Bushmills has a warm spot for me. Yeah, there are Bushmills (laughs) and there's Jameson. I tended to get Jamesons. uh, And I could never keep track with which one was the... Uh, right. Northern Ireland, and which one was Southern Ireland? You know what? I can't either. But someone pointed out. I said, "What's the difference?" I go, "What's the difference? One right. of them's Catholic, and one of them's Protestant, dude." Right. And, <laughs> it's like, and, oh, okay. it, but I didn't want to take sides, so I guess I didn't know. Incidentally, this is uh, my nineteenth year without alcohol. So, <laughs> oh, good for you. Good <laughs> yeah. for you. Um, yeah, I. I uh, I'm not an alcohol drinker at all, but I, I, as a, as a person who likes kind of strange things and researching things, uh, a few years ago when I uh, finally got to Paris, which I've been dreaming about my whole life, I, I grew up speaking French in Canada, so I, I pretty, I could speak French pretty well, so I felt like I was. Good Lord, you, know, you grew up yeah, in Canada was, and Japan. Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force, you know. So. Uh huh. You know, anyway. When I got to Paris, I got onto absinthe, and then I got to be a kind of I'm going to nerd out on this. So I became like a super super expert on absinthe, and I'm I'm very snooty about absinthe. I I, I found out the person who brought it back to the United States, made it legal finally, and I, I I met the person who helped them make it legal in the United States, and then I found out what the best absinthe is, you know. And so there's actually been times when I've been in a place in Paris. Where they they just anyway where finally they refer to me if someone comes in and wants to know about absence they say go ask that guy you know the, the bartender oh wow say, wow is ask it illegal guy. in America still no it's legal it's it was made legal maybe ten fifteen years ago by anyway I, what, I why was it made illegal the truth is um, in about nineteen twelve or so in Europe, uh, something like that. I'm making that number up, but, you know, something like that. Um, The grapes had a blight, and 
most of the grape or a lot of the grape harvest tanked in Europe. So wine production went went out for a couple of years. Well, absinthe had already been a drink that people were enjoying in the evening. So absinthe took over from wine. They say if you walk down the streets of Paris, you know, it smelled like absinthe because everybody was sitting on the sitting outside of the table drinking absinthe. Um, and when the grapes came back in and the wine started producing again, they couldn't get traction because absinthe was the drink of choice. So the wine industry was like, holy cow. So in a nutshell, they demonized absinthe. And they put out what I believe, and I think most people who look at it factually believe, they put out a bunch of fake advertising about absinthe being um, dangerous and poisonous and hallucinogenic and all this stuff, which is absolutely not true. Huh. That very interesting. Got, That's what happened to marijuana, too. Yeah. So it got bought into. It was made illegal in around, you know, 19 teens of sometime, maybe 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, I don't know, something in there. It was made illegal, made illegal in the United States, and it stayed that way for close to 100 years. Wow. That's really interesting. It, you know, back then, that's where the phrase comes from, you know, absinthe makes the heart grow fonder. No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> Is that true? No, no. it's absinthe. <laughs> yes, of course. That's great. Well, you know what? Good absinthe is wonderful. It's just wonderful. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I, anyway, I'm very snooty about it, so I just think there's just very, very few good ones. But Oh, um, it's too late yeah. for me. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, you you shouldn't you shouldn't you know, you don't get started. And there's a ceremony around it. I I've been doing chano you you know tea ceremony yeah. now for a few years, and the the way you make absinthe is not tea ceremony by any means. But you <laughs> know there's a a a, a fountain where you drip water in drop by drop by drop ice cold water. You drop it into absinthe and you do it four to one, and every time a drop of water goes in, the absinthe releases one of the um, herbs that's in suspension and it comes out of suspension and it changes color and it changes form and each aroma, if you're sensitive to it, emerges as each drop goes in and after you've watched the drop, you drink one and then have another. And <laughs> it's wonderful. Now, now, you said four to one. Uh, water to water to, to, to straight absinthe. Four to five to one is what you drink it at. And and you're putting it in uh, one drop at a time and taking a sip between drops. No, you don't take a sip between drops. You just you just let the aroma of the, the come out. You wait till it's completely louched. It's called louching. Uh -huh. So it starts it starts off clear, this emerald clear, and good stuff is not colored. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about that. But good stuff is not colored. Good stuff is just the, it's the color of the herbs. So it's this beautiful emerald color. And then as you put the water in, it becomes milky, and it looks like skim milk when you get done drinking it. Because, I mean, when you drink it, it looks like skim milk because that's the louche. When each thing has come out of suspension, so it's cloudy. And mm. Uh, mm. So when I said the color is not uh, fake, one of the things that people claimed back in the days to get it illegal was that people were dying from drinking absinthe, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, actually... Technically, they had something to hang their hat on because people who are making fake absinthe to make a lot of money, in order to make it green, 
they were basically um, boiling copper and have and because it would become green. So you were drinking copper, which is poison. Mm. Not absinthe at all. You know, they were so there were a few people who died, but they were drinking the stuff that was, you know, like bootleg crap that wasn't even real. Anyway, mm. there's some great posters, great posters, David. You can look up on the Internet. Um, I, I befriended a woman who has the absinthe museum in um, Sur la Roise. Uh, it's a little town outside Paris. Um, anyway, she has the originals of these posters. There's a poster of the devil got a glass of absinthe in one hand and it's got a child in the other hand and it's biting the head off the child. <laughs> <laughs> There's your advertising, right? Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, that's what they're Over. doing to, uh, uh, that's the sort of, uh, extremes that certain parties in the United States, uh, are going to, to demonize Absolutely. others. Uh, just as extreme with it, but I'm not going to say anything specific because I don't want to get into that. No. So no, we know that we, we know that we've seen demonizing, you know, and this was this is a classic story, and that, that they could have something illegal for a hundred years. Yeah. By demonizing, you know. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh. So. Uh, wow. This, yeah. What, uh, a, what a long talk. Thank you for your patience. Ha 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 ha. I think. Uh, oh, incidentally. Uh, I was wrong. I said Silas died December 22nd. He decided died December 12th. Uh, oh, you know his. Do you know his birthday was December 25th? Oh, right, right. I'd forgotten that, but but I I I remember that now. Um, I let me tell you a quick one. I once gave him a surprise birthday party. Uh huh. In June. In June. Because he, I thought, God, when he never has a birthday. I mean, it's Christmas. What a what a, what a ripoff! So Good I gave for him a you. Birthday party in June once. Yeah. Good for you. That's terrific. That's terrific. Yeah. He, and, he and Amber lived with me in Mill Valley for a year or two. Is that right? Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. yeah, we were very very close. Uh, um. I. I and, followed Silas and kept up with him different places. And it was really good when he went to Port Towns and then he really found a, I don't know, that, that felt better to me. Yeah. Yeah. A, one other dear thing that I feel so blessed by, um, uh, sometime in the last year or so, he gave me his rock suit. Is that right? Yeah, so I have this rock suit that was made for him by Joshin-san. Oh. Suzuki Roshi, Suzuki Roshi wanted him to have it, so Joshin-san made one for him. No, no, no. Um, uh, um, it, what's her name? The, the one before Joshin. Uh, wasn't it? Are you I sure? don't know. He are, he, are you, he said he, he said it, Joshin. It's Joshin? Uh, it, it I was, don't know. I mean, I he said it was Joshin's son. I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Was, well, he knows. He knows. I, I, well, who knows? I mean, she, made right. a, I know. she made me a. She made me an okay, sir. Wow. Uh, when Josh, I was Joshin did. She was living at Tassahara when I was Shuso. You might have been there hmm. then. 
I uh, know uh, you. Were, I would have. I would have remembered you as Shuso. I don't. But my last Shuso was. Hmm. Uh, Les K. I think I can't remember. Oh. Yeah, Les K. Was like uh, the fall of '72. Yeah, I think that was the last Shuso that I experienced there, and then I moved to Green Gulch in '72. Uh huh. I uh-huh. think. I think. I think. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. So you must have been after that, right? I was uh, 74. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, oh, she, oh, what was her name? Oh, no. Uh, oh, she, the, 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 so were, we called her something Roshi. Oh, she, the, oh. Uh, I never knew of her. God, I can't remember her name. Anyway, uh, uh. She was there while Suzuki was alive. Now, maybe Joshin was there that long. She came in like Yoshida. That's it. I think it's Yoshida. Yoshida? She came Yoshida. In, in maybe 70. Mm, mm. You know? Mm. Well, uh, that may have been, Silas may have been confused there. He just uh, knew. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I don't know. I can't remember when uh, Joshin Sun came, but I sort of associate her with the second wave of sewing. Uh, mm, mm, mm. And, Probably uh, so. Uh, you know, people get confused about these things. Also, uh, let me tell you something about him giving you that rock suit. Mm, mm, uh, mm, mm. When uh, Alan Marlowe died, see, mm. Suzuki Roshi had made, you, you remember uh, Jeannie De Prima, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, hey, you want to hear some far out podcasts? Listen to the two uh, mm. she did with me. Uh, mm. Anyway, when, when, when uh, she and Alan were got lay ordination in the same ordination, uh, like mm. 1971. Uh, mm-hmm. Could have even been 1970 uh, because she, she'd she been sitting since she was like 12 or something. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, he he did it so that their rock suits were complementary. So that you sort of needed both mm. of them to see the whole thing. So mm. that when Alan was dying, uh, you know, he talked to Copeland and she and he talked, she was with Alan while he was dying. She stayed with him, uh, in, mm-hmm. uh, Boulder and, uh, uh, Copeland was there and, uh, uh, they asked if Jeannie could have the Roxu, or, or told her if Jeannie was planning to have the Roxu set. Coburn said no, it should be cremated with Alan. Oh. He wouldn't, he wouldn't oh. let them do that. Oh. Interesting, oh, well, huh? I'll, well, maybe I'll have it cremated with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, no, these, these things are. Yeah, just uh, another breeze in the wind, huh? Yeah, oh, going yeah. Going by. I'll, I'll... Going by. 
So thanks a lot, Eric. Eric Larson. Very interesting. I'm dying to hear what you have to say next week. <laughs> okay. This has been a Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC Poopa of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives. Coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Doggy Bandita and dear lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. Thank you.